I've got a lot of announcements, and uh, so go ahead and be seated, and then I'll ask you to stand up again, <laughs> out of respect for the Word of God. But, you know, announcements, sometimes we don't see them as spiritual, but um, these this morning really are of a spiritual nature, and so I felt needed, I needed to address the church rather than just putting them up on the board or in a bulletin. But we've got a brother in Christ who's been attending here for about six months, very faithfully, the Ruiz family. And uh, Barb first came down with COVID, and the symptoms were, were pretty severe. And then Bill got COVID, and it was so bad that they had to call an ambulance. And so I'm announcing this because I want the church to be praying for his, his healing and for his complete recovery. Um, they have insurance, but it covers about 80% of their, their, their needs, and then 20% is out of pocket. Um, they've got a $5,000 deductible, and I'm sharing this personal information, but we as a church family um, want to do something to, to help this, this couple and their, their two sons. And so um, the board members and I will be talking of what the church can do, but also I wanted to announce it so that you can be praying on how you can help this family. You may not be able to financially give, um, but there's going to be a way that you can provide meals. Um, Tracy, do you know anything more about that? Or that you can, uh, how? Right now they're, they're okay. They're, okay, they're you told me that. Okay. Okay, so be looking for it on Facebook, the ladies. Uh, I think they do have something already. Um, he's uh, so he's in an induced coma, so he's going to be in the hospital for at least two weeks with that. Um, and so the medical costs in a hospital stay are exorbitant. And so we need to be praying that God would provide for this family as well. But next Sunday, if you want to give a, a designated gift for the Ruiz family, just mark it on an envelope. There's giving envelopes in the back and just say this is for, for the Ruiz family um, for medical costs. So we'll take an offering during the regular offering. And if you want to put that in, designate it for, it'll go to them. And then the church will also be doing something corporately out of our, out of our funds. Um, I also wanted to, to encourage people. We've got people that have been attending faithfully and regularly. And you've been asking me questions. Well, what does it mean to be a member? Well, on the third Sunday of August, we're going to have a new members information potluck uh, after church. Members, you're welcome to attend, but it's for people who are interested in becoming a member of the church. And members, you can get involved and you can help serve, or you can come later and help clean up. Um, Brendan? Oh, I thought they were already gone, but they're not. <laughs> we do have children, um, need to head for children's church. Okay. Thank you, Brendan. Um, I'm not too good at sign language. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up our reading in chapter 15 of chapter 1. This is Paul's prayer. What a beautiful, beautiful, powerful prayer this morning. Therefore, I also, very emphatic, I also. It's one Greek word. It's actually two Greek words that are combined to make one word, kaiego. It's the word also in the word I. It's a very emphatic word. The word therefore literally is because of this, diatautu. It's the neuter referring to everything that he said in that first paragraph. 
Everything that he said in that first paragraph. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding, or the eyes of your heart, your, your mind, your spiritual insight, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What is the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints? All those genitive phrases describing it. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to His working mightily, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's put all things under His feet. He's given Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Father, bless Your Word this morning to our hearts. Teach us how to pray. That's what the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Father, today we ask you, teach us to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, I just want to walk through that first little phrase, I therefore... Or therefore I also. Paul is connecting all of this syntactically with the first paragraph. Now, in Paul's letters, he has a very, very uh, typical way of writing. Paul usually introduces a letter with a prayer of thanksgiving. Go through all of his letters and you'll notice that he does this. He'll say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then go into talking about the Philippians. He does the same thing with the Corinthians. There's several letters that are very, very different. Galatians and Ephesians are very, very different. Galatians starts out with a harsh rebuke. It's a very, very different letter. He starts out saying, I marvel that you're so soon removing yourself from the one who called you in grace to another gospel, which is really not another. And he just, he, he can't believe what's going on in, in Galatia. Here, though, Paul is enthralled, excited, enthused at what's happening at Ephesus. And he starts out with this beautiful eulogy rather than a thanksgiving. And he says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ in heavenly places, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before Him in love. And He has adopted us in Him, to all to the praise of the glory of His grace. Paul is, is hearing about believers in the Lucius Valley. I, I believe this was a circular letter, because Paul doesn't know these people personally. 
He was at Ephesus for three years. Two and a half years he taught in the school of uh, Tyrannius. And all of Asia, all that area was hearing the gospel. And so the gospel was proliferating among Gentile people. And so he starts out with this incredible blessing and thanksgiving of what God is doing in the Gentile world, including them in the body of Christ. And this plan to include Gentiles in the body of Christ was before the foundation of the world. God chooses people in Christ. And this decision of God was before the foundation of the world. And now he's praising God that these Gentiles are now included as equal heirs, co-inheritors of all the promises to the Jewish people, that they are included in this and that this mystery has been hidden by the ages. And now it's being revealed to the church through the apostles and prophets that God included all people in this marvelous grace. God is most glorified by his provision to save all people. And Paul starts out saying, I also, because of this, I can't stop praising and thanking God for what he is doing. What a wonderful way to start our prayers is by thanking God. We're told to do this in the book of Philippians. Be anxious or be careful. When I was a kid reading that in the King James, I said, okay, I'm not careful about anything. And the Bible tells me, but it means to be full of care. We don't use the old English much anymore. I wish we did. But it's translated in the New King James, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplications. Let them request be made known to God with thanksgiving. This is the way we begin our prayers to God. We pray beginning with thanksgiving. It changes our whole attitude. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5 something or other. I think 17. (laughs) This is the way we are to pray. This is the way God wants us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Psalm 100. Now, what was it that motivated Paul to pray this Thanksgiving intercessory prayer? It was because God's eternal plan, eternal plan for the entire human race is revealed in Jesus Christ. For this reason, what God is doing throughout all the ages is now being revealed in the person of Jesus. We are chosen in Jesus. We are adopted through Christ. We are predestined, once we come to know Jesus, we are predestined to be blameless and holy in His sight. Grace is freely dispensed upon us. For this reason, I give thanks. Look at how how grace has been lavished on us. If you go over to verses 6, 7, and 8, this is to the praise of the glory of His grace. And so Paul says, I am not ceasing to give thanks because I remember the grace that's going out among the world. He has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to what? According to the riches of his grace. His grace is what's causing Paul to to give this incredible thanksgiving. This grace, it says in verse 8, he made to abound toward us having made known to the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. And so Paul is motivated to give thanks for what God is doing in his incredible grace. And then 
as we look at the prayer, we start to see some other things. He says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I begin to pray when I heard the transforming power of the gospel. Boy, when you hear about somebody getting saved, that ought to cause us to give thanksgiving and to worship God. He says, I am praising God, I'm thanking because I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have trusted in Christ, now all these riches are yours. You have an inheritance. You have redemption. You have forgiveness. You have adoption. You have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, after I heard of your faith in Christ, now you are included in this body of believers that God has predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So I see the transforming power of the gospel. Not only does it change our position, but it changes our attitude toward other people. The gospel does that. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also because of your love. It's the Greek word agape. Your sacrificial giving of yourself to other people. The gospel has changed you. And when I heard about this, I am praying and thanking God. God. How to pray? How does Paul pray? Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. His prayers and our prayers ought to be ceaseless, consistent praying over and over again. I want to read to you just a verse from Colossians chapter 4. One of my favorite passages of scriptures on praying for salvation. But Paul says this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Continue earnestly in prayer. Paul says that he prays unceasingly, constant, and not just constant, but consistent. I, I was so convicted of this because Paul prayed constantly and consistently for a group of people. This is a ministry that you and I can have for North Valley Bible Church. When I write down a prayer request, I should pray for that person consistently. Not just praying unceasingly, but I need to pray consistently for that same thing until I get an answer from God. Either a yes, no, or just keep on praying. We've got so many illustrations that Jesus gave us about consistent praying. We've got the prayer of the widow who comes before the judge and she just didn't pray constantly. She prayed consistently and asked over and over and over and over again. We're told in Matthew, ask, and it's a present progressive. Ask and it shall be given to you. Ask, 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 and it shall be given to you. Seek, 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 and it shall be given or you will find, knock, 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 and the door shall be open for everyone that asks continually receives. We need to pray not just constantly, we need to pray consistently for that person. And then it also has the idea of praying passionately. The fervent, effectual prayers of righteous people avail much, James chapter 5. Elijah was a man subject to like passions just as you and I are. Man, I love verses like that. Because I realize what a wretch I am and how undeserving answers to prayer are. And I look at Elijah and says, well, man, I'll never be an Elijah. And I probably won't. But the Bible tells me that Elijah was this man subject to the same problems I've got. 
He wasn't some super saint that lived in an isolated bubble where God didn't ever give him any problems. In fact, you read about his problems. They're 10 times worse than you and I ever faced. I'm not running from a Jezebel. I'm I'm not worried about the prophets of Baal. And that's what Elijah was living under. And yet it tells us that he had the same, same nature as you and I, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. So it means to pray constantly, it means to pray consistently, it means to pray passionately, interceding for others. And he does this by making mention of them in his prayers. What does that mean to make mention? The Greek word to make mention means literally to remember them. It means I bring it up in my mind and I recite that need before God. So this week we could practically put that into practice, can't we? We can pray for Bill Ruiz constantly, consistently, and passionately, remembering what he is going through, what Barb is facing, what Michael and Christopher are facing. We can put this into practice this morning. We can live this out in a real practical way. So how do we pray? We pray constantly, consistently, passionately. We do it by remembering. The root word is to recollect in my memory and then recite it back to God. God wants us to be specific in our prayers. Don't just pray, oh, God, bless this this family. Oh, God, bless North Valley Bible Church. God, bless the the missionaries in India. We ought to pray by bringing up and reciting specific needs before God. This is the way God instructs us to pray. So we see this in Paul's prayer introduction in verse 15 and 16. And then 17 through 20, we actually get the petitions. And notice that these petitions are spiritual priorities. Now, there's nothing wrong for praying for finances. There's nothing wrong for praying for physical needs. Those are real, practical ways that you and I can pray. But the Bible, you look at Paul's prayers, and almost every one of them, without exception, he prays for spiritual needs of the individual's. If you can pray for me, that's what I need prayer in. It's my spiritual life. That's where I struggle. And this is where this church needed encouragement. Paul's hearing about these new Gentile believers, and so he says, I'm going to pray for your spiritual life. Verse 17, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. So when we address God, we understand that he is the God of glory. That genitive phrase is a phrase of description. He is the glorious, awesome, almighty God. That ought to encourage you just in that that, that thought alone. Who you are addressing. Sometimes when when I pray, and maybe you do this too, but you start to ponder about who you're praying to. And you start to feel so insignificant. And then you're realizing that the God who spoke this universe into existence, that you have an audience with him. That's pretty amazing. The God of glory, the glorious God. The God that was so glorious that when Isaiah saw him, he says, woe is me. So he says, I am addressing God, the glorious Father, and that God may grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. I don't think it's just an attitude, an attitude of wisdom or an attitude of revelation. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you and I wisdom. And what is wisdom? 
Wisdom is the ability to understand the great mysteries and doctrines of Christ and then apply them rightly to your life. When you pray for other people, pray that God would give them through the power of the Holy Spirit wisdom and insight to understand spiritual truth and then apply them to your life. What a way to pray for somebody. And then he says in Revelation, look at the rest of the phrase, and Revelation, and look at this little preposition, in the knowledge of him. That's what I need revelation about. I don't need revelation about, about you know, the stock market. It'd be kind of nice, but, uh, but we don't need that. I don't need revelation of what God's going to do politically in this country, and I'm not going to worry about you know, who our president is and who our vice president is and what's going on. I need revelation in the knowledge of him. I need to know more and more about Jesus. This is an infinite journey. From the time that you get saved, it will never stop. And I need more and more revelation. And the Greek word for knowledge, it's a compound word. It's not gnosko, which means head knowledge. It's epigenosko. I need revelation in an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what I need to grow in. And that's how we need to pray for each other. This morning, I, I was thinking of an illustration of the difference between just knowledge and knowing somebody in a real intimate experiential way. Uh, and, and I was trying to think of a famous person. I don't know very many. And then it came to me uh, when Dr. Goers introduced me to uh, Marshall Foster. And, and I know about this guy. I've read about this guy. And he was kind of like, wow, you know, he, he, he knows all these, these historical facts about America. And then he came to Capstone. And then he didn't just come to the school, he came into my classroom. And I'm kind of in awe of this guy. And he's not any different from you and I. He's so personable, and we just got talking. And I knew a lot of things about him, but now I was entering into a dialogue and a relationship with him, and that's what God wants us to have with Jesus. You can come to our church, and you can hear about Jesus. You can go to Sunday school class, and you can hear the things about Jesus. You can have a lot of knowledge because mom and dad taught you about Jesus. But you can open up your Bible and you can walk with Jesus. You can talk with Jesus. And God will give you a spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, a revelation in an experiential walking and talking and living with Jesus Christ. And that's how we ought to pray with people, that your faith is living, that your faith is alive, that it's not just theory, that you know Christ, and Christ comes and exudes through your life. My wife, I only use her in illustrations in good ways. So, um, our next door neighbor, <laughs> smart man, yes. our next door neighbor has been, been talking with Tracy, and I'm okay with it because he, he's he's a young, nice young man. He's from New York. He's he's totally out of sorts living in Utah, and they've been developing this this relationship, and not not a, rela a friendship, I should say. Well, the other day he saw me out in, the, out in my car and. Uh, he came running over, and he saw I, I had a backpack on, and Tracy came out with a backpack, and he says, he says you guys going up in the mountains? And he, I said, yeah. He says, can I go? <laughs> and I said, uh, 
um, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. We're, we're, we're heading about, you know, four, three hours from here, and we're going to be gone for four days. We're going to be sleeping on the ground. He goes, oh, well, let me reconsider that. <laughs> but what happened is through them just knowing each other, now there's this open friendship and dialogue. And this is, that has anything to do with my illustration, but through that conversation, the man began to open up to Tracy and I. And we got to sit down in our car. We were an hour late going to, to the mountains, but it was worth every 60 minutes of that. This guy just opened up and began to pour his heart out. And we sat down with him and shared the plan of salvation with him. And he was so, so close. He says, I'm going to my house. He wouldn't pray with us right there in the street, but tears were coming down his face. That's because there was a relationship that was being formed. And that's what Paul is saying, I want for this church a deep and experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. The goal of wisdom, the goal of revelation is to know Christ. This is what Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be conformed unto his death. That's what it means to know Christ. Next thing he prays for is for spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding to do what? Why does he, Paul want them to have spiritual understanding? Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, having been enlightened, it's a perfect participle, they've already been enlightened, you've been saved, but now I want you to know certain things too. The hope of your calling, and second, the riches of the glory of the inheritance among the saints. We need to pray for people to understand the hope of the calling. God has called us, right? There's not many wise, not many noble, not many wealthy. God has chosen us fools in here to believe the gospel. God has chosen us poor folks to, to relive it in the gospel. But what has he called us to? He wants us to understand what the hope of the calling, the hope of my calling isn't just heaven one day. The hope of my calling is to be conformed to Jesus. The hope of the gospel is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but it's also the power of God to transform my life to be a new and living creature. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. And I need to understand that there is a hope in this calling that I don't have to be the Patrick Cross that I was yesterday. There's some things that I'm not very proud of. There's some attitudes that I had yesterday, some thoughts that I had, and I need to understand the hope of my calling. The hope of my calling is that I will be like Jesus. Everyone that Christ calls, he's going to conform us to be like him. And I need to understand that. And we need to pray for people that they will understand that he doesn't just save you and he doesn't just give you fire insurance against hell. He wants to change your life, and that's the hope of the calling, that you'll be a new creature. And we need to pray for people. Understand that God has called you not to be the same person that you used to be. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope that we tell people. That was the hope that we told our neighbor. That those things that you regret, those things can be forgiven. And not just forgiven, they can be transformed. Boy, praise God that we can have a hope in this gospel. 
and then the inheritance, and what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance? Look at all those genitive phrases just piling on top of each other. Paul can't even describe what our inheritance is like. We have the first installment of our inheritance, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance one day. We've already got that, that we are going to be just like Jesus. This string of gendered phrases is saying that without Christ, I want to just show you what we were without Christ. Go look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Sons of disobedience among whom also we once conducted ourselves. This is what we used to be. We used to live in the lusts of our flesh. We used to fulfill the desires of our flesh and mind. We used to be, by nature, children of wrath, just as others. And now God has transformed us. Now God has given us the Holy Spirit. Our inheritance is so gloriously rich. Without Christ, we are no longer sons of disobedience. Or with Christ, with Christ, we are no longer conducting our lives in the lust of the flesh. With Christ, we're not fulfilling our desires of our flesh and mind. With Christ, we are no longer naturally, naturally children of wrath. But in Him, we've obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 11 in chapter 1. In Him, in Jesus, when you are placed in Him, the corporate body of Christ, we also have obtained an inheritance and this inheritance is predestined according to the purpose of him who's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Look with me at verse 14. Again, he mentions this inheritance in verse, chapter 1 and verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the purchase redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory? We need to understand and appropriate the value that God has placed on us. Our inheritance, this is who we are, and God has guaranteed. He says, you are my special treasure. I have purchased you with my blood. And Paul's praying for them to understand all that that inheritance entails and to really, really appreciate what God has done for me that one day I am going to share in the new Jerusalem? I am going to share in the new creation? This is our inheritance. And God wants us to understand it. And, and we are so undeserving of it. Such appreciation it would bring in our lives. And the third thing that he prays for is power. Christians so many times live in discouragement and they live defeated Christian lives. How many times does temptation just seem to get you down? How many times do you just find yourself gossiping again? You say, oh, I wasn't going to do that. How many times do you find yourself getting angry? How many times do you find yourself doubting God? And you just live what you feel like, ah, oh, I just keep, keep blowing it. I'm not what I want to be and I'm not what I ought to be. And I, I can relate to Romans chapter 7. Paul says the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that when I, what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. But there's a flip side to that. The flip side is Romans chapter 8. 
There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and who walk according to the Spirit. And this is what he's getting at in this passage. He says, we don't have to leave, live defeated Christian lives. We need to understand the exceeding greatness of his power that is toward who? Toward those who are believing ones. The believing ones have this incredible power. Now, what is this power like? It's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to see a demonstration of God's love for you? Where do you look for that? Where would you look to see God's demonstration of love? You all are following me. You're all tracking, right? You look to the cross. Now, you want to see the demonstration of God's power for you to live a victorious life? Where do you look for that? The resurrection. That's right. You look to the resurrection. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God by the Spirit of holiness, by the Spirit of holiness through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. I am crucified with Christ, and just as Christ was crucified, I might be resurrected together with Christ so that I might not fulfill the fleshly desires. Romans chapter 8, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body. Therefore, you are no longer a debtor to live unto the flesh, but to live unto God. The power of the Christian life is through the resurrection. And I appropriate and I identify and I unite myself with Christ's resurrection spiritually. And that's where I get the victory to overcome my sin. And Paul says, I want to pray for other believers that they will experience this, that they will know that power that is in every one of them. It's exceedingly great power toward us who believe according to his working power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. He's at the right hand of God. All authority is given to him. The last thing that we need to pray for is the supremacy, understanding the supremacy of Christ. Christ is seated at God's right hand. This is a place of authority. It's hard to divide this because it's, there's really no division. You, you see verse 20. It starts with a relative pronoun in the New King James. It starts with the word which. So he's really connecting syntactically verse 20 with 19, isn't he? His exceeding greatness power and then he says, what about this power? It's which he worked in Christ. And well, when did he do that? He, when he raised him from the dead. And then, so 21 just keeps following. It's sort of an outflow, but it's, it's a different thought as well. It's far above all, what? All principality, all power, all might, dominion, every name that is to be named. So when we pray, and we're understanding the supremacy and the power of Christ, we need to understand that our God, our Savior, transcends everything. Christ is far above everything. Verse 21 and verse 22, He's put all things under His feet. That means Christ transcends all. I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what satanic spirits there are, dominions principalities, power. He's naming all these spiritual dimensions that are out there that you and I cannot see. But the exceeding greatness of Christ, He is over everything. 
the, the, all the, this list that Paul gives, I think it symbolizes Christ's supremacy over every spiritual dimension possible. This list is meant to demonstrate that whatever grade of authority there is, it is far inferior to the power and the dominion of our Savior. There's nothing in this world that can harm you that doesn't have to first come through the hand of God. The phrase, every name that is named, I don't think this is, is um, picking out every single personality, but I think the idea of every name that is named is God has ordained universal homage to the Lord Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. The same idea is found in Philippians because of the things that Jesus suffered and he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Therefore, every name, every single thing will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whatever it is, whatever honor, whatever dominion, whatever authority, it will give its homage and respect to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I are a part of his body. We unify with him because we are the body of Christ and he is our head. That's where Paul goes on with all of this. Christ is the head and we are organically connected with him. The head here, I don't think it means the intelligentsia, but oh, he is. But the head here, the idea of that term is that he is the source. Christ is the head. Christ is the source. He is the source of all wisdom. He is the source of all that God is doing before the foundations of the world. It is found in Jesus Christ, and now we are united with him. Everything derives its fullness from Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, it was all found in Christ, and now at the consummation of the last times that we are living in, it's found in the body of Christ. He is the one. It's the body of Christ, and Christ is fulfilling the fullness of all who fills all and who is in all. So what is some application this morning? We ought to be motivated to pray, shouldn't we? We have got so many motives to pray. I, therefore, because of this, I also, I pray. When I understand that God had a plan for his people before the foundation of the earth, that God has chosen me in Christ, that God has adopted us in Christ, that through Christ we have redemption, that through Christ we have the forgiveness of sin, through Christ, we have a seal of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our one day going to inherit it all. That motivates you and I to pray. That's an application. Second, we as a church ought to be growing in our revelation and our wisdom in an experiential way about Jesus. Every day, you should be desiring a deeper walk with Christ, greater intimacy. And we can pray that for ourselves and we can pray it for one another. As believers, we need to grow in our intimacy and our relationship with Jesus. As his people, we must be profoundly impacted by the hope that we have. Profoundly impacted that I have a hope. I need to understand. We need to understand. What is this hope of our calling? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And what is my inheritance? What does that do, and what do I have? What, what, how does it affect my life? We need to daily live in resurrection power. We don't have to be defeated Christians. We need to understand the exceeding greatness of his power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and that is at work in our lives. We need to have a ministry 
of intercession one to another. When we hear about somebody's salvation, we need to consistently, constantly, and passionately pray for one another. And this is where it gets down to practical application, real practical application. I'm going to challenge you today to find somebody in our assembly this morning that you don't normally talk that close with and you may not know that well and go up and exchange a phone number. And I want you to call somebody this week that you haven't really talked to and I want you to call them and say, how can I pray for you this week? How can we as a church really get practical? How is we as a church can really intertwine our lives and minister to one another? This is one way that we can do it. We can say, I want to give thanks for so-and-so. And I'm going to pray consistently for you this week. I'm going to pray passionately for you this week. I'm going to pray that you have an experiential knowledge and a walk with Jesus. I'm going to pray that you understand what the hope of your calling is. I'm going to pray that you understand the exceeding greatness of God's power toward you when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's my challenge to you this morning, that we can do this in a loving and practical way at North Valley Bible Church. Let's close now in prayer. Father, we have walked through this prayer of Paul. God, he had such a heart for people that he didn't even know. All he knew is they had come to know Jesus, and that was enough for him to consistently, caringly, passionately pray for people. Because he knew that when they got saved, all of that eulogy was theirs. God, he didn't want them just to stay in their salvation state. He wanted them to move forward in their Christian walk. He wanted them to have a spirit of wisdom and spiritual revelation so that they would know more about Jesus. He wanted them to understand the hope and what the inheritance was. He wanted to understand the exceeding greatness. He wanted to understand that their Savior was far above everything and that they were a part of this body, the fullness of everything that God is doing. So, Father, I ask today that we as a church would take this message and we would apply it. We would find somebody this week that we will pray for. God, help us to be obedient to this passage of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.